morning, family. It's always good to see God's family gathered together. And we, a warm welcome to our visitors. God bless you. You encourage us by your presence, and we hope to likewise be an encouragement and a blessing to you. I want to thank you for, for being together this morning, especially with the power being out and this wind and nasty weather. If you're anything like me, you, you like uh, all the weather to resemble Hawaii's, and that would be very nice. But God bless you for coming out and braving this. I'll try to, to shorten my sermon somewhat uh, with that in regard, and perhaps on, Lord willing, another day give you, what do they call that in the movies, the director's cut, the fuller version of the, mo uh, the sermon this morning. Please uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12, or turn on your Bible app, if you will, the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 12, and verse 46. And before we read there, I want to ask you a question. What do you think of when I say the word church? What comes to mind? Do you think Sundays? Do you think weekly? Do you think religious, spiritual? I'll tell you what comes to mind for me, and the word is family. When I think of church, I think of family. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, is that the church is like a, a family. Uh, I'm gonna qualify that a traditional family. Think of uh, the Leave it to Beaver TV show of the 50s and 60s, if you watch it in reruns, if you're not as old as me. Um, where it was a very traditional family, with the Beaver family. And the church is like a family, a family maybe your family, maybe a family on your street, maybe a family in your neighborhood. And for the sermon this morning, a church is like a tra traditional family in three ways. And that's what we're going to look at. The first way is that everyone in the family is related to each other. The second way is that the family has roles that to fulfill, roles that are right and proper to fulfill. The third way is the idea of functional families. And you know, we didn't talk about functional families when I was a kid. It's a more modern concept with functional and dysfunctional families. And how much the the family is functional depends on how much the family members follow certain principles, certain ideas. And we're going to see how all these ideas relate to the church. So let's look at the first thought, that everyone in the family is related to each other. And we're at Matthew chapter 12 in verse 46. And I'm reading from the NIV. And here Matthew writes, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For, and this is the reason why, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Here Jesus is saying that his spiritual family is more important than his physical family. This is my family. Because that's what, we, when I say father, brother, sister, and mother, 
What else are we talking about but a family? And note this, how many families are we talking about? One family, one family. So God has one family, one spiritual family. Well, how are we members of God's one spiritual family? Let's turn over to the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're going to look at John chapter 3. And we're going to see how we are members of that one spiritual family of God. We are born into that family, just like you're born into your family. In John chapter 3, Jesus is talking with Nicodemus, a religious leader, a Pharisee. And in verse 3, he says, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God, and that's a figurative way of saying entering the kingdom of God, being a member, a part of the kingdom of God. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again or born from above. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And Nicodemus just doesn't get it. He's thinking literally, he's thinking physically, he's thinking earthly. But this is a spiritual matter, not a physical matter. Jesus answered, verse 5, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God. He's repeating himself. Unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. He's saying this is a spiritual matter. So he, he says the same birth, but he, he puts a, ver a different version on it. He says being born again, being born up from above, is the same as being born of water and of the spirit. It is a spiritual birth. And the water is of the waters of baptism, and the spirit is being renewed inside, being a new person inside, spiritually. So we see that... Everyone in the family is related to each other. In this case, with God's family, the church, that we have received the one spiritual birth into the one family of God. Let's look at the second way. The second way that the church is like a family. In that a traditional family has roles to fill. Roles that are proper and right to fulfill. Imagine a family where the roles are confused. Where... The parents don't do the disciplining and the correcting, but rather the children's discipline and correct the, the parents. I know that's tempting for teenagers and whatnot, but that's a confusion of the roles. Imagine the parents saying to the child, uh, I'm going to play video games all night and sleep all day. You go find a job and pay the bills. That's a confusion of the roles. Well, likewise, the church has a roles to fulfill. Now, there's a number of different ways we can take that tact and, and run with it. This morning, I want to look at it in the way of what we do when we come together as a church. Now, the acts that we do, they are nicknamed the five acts of worship, if you will. And that's what we're going to look at, our roles, if you will. So let's start by going to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's turn with me over. From John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. And the book of 1 Corinthians is a really useful book, chapter 11, because the church of Corinth has so many serious problems, the church of Corinth is a mess. 
And Paul has to address all these messes. He basically has to tell them everything they need to do. And in doing so, he tells them basically everything the church should do when she comes together. Okay? There's a lot of issues and problems associated with this. We're not going to so much deal with the issues and problems specifically, the circumstances, but rather what they were to do. Okay, and that's what we're going to take from this, the five acts of worship. And the first act we read about is prayer. In 1 Corinthians 11, in verse 4, we read, Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, and every woman who prays or prophesies with his head uncovered dishonors her head. It is just as though her head were shaved. Okay, so you can see a problem here with head coverings. It's talking about long hair, a man's hair and a woman's hair. And I want to say what constitutes long hair? Well, it's um, hair that's five and three sixteenths inches long. No, I'm just kidding, please. The issue there was subjective. It was a cultural issue. And the issue of a woman being shaved was that she was a very immoral woman or a prostitute, okay? And what roles that would play. So without getting into the details of it, what I want to emphasize is this. Men prayed and women prayed. In other words, everybody prays. What are we to do as a church when we come together? We're to pray. And that's what I want you to take from that this morning. We are to pray to God. Can we pray when we are unassembled? Certainly. When we're by ourselves with our God? Yes, absolutely. There are many verses that say that. But one of the things we're to do when we come together as a church is to pray. That's the first thing. Same chapter, let's go over to verse 17. And we'll read about the Lord's Supper, which we just had and which Brother Stu uh, led so well. In verse 17, we read, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Now that's, that's harsh. That's hard, isn't it? Imagine a person guided by the Holy Spirit, and he says to the assembly, what you do here, you'd be better off not doing. You're doing more harm than good with your church service. Imagine that. So this is very stern criticism, what he's saying. He's addressing a serious problem. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, and that's the setting here, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. Somebody's got to be right in here, in this group of groups here, in all your divisions. Somebody's got to be right. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. Well, they were eating the Lord's Supper, but he's saying they were not eating the Lord's Supper. Why is he doing this? 4, verse 21, and this is the reason why that he is saying it. As you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? Imagine being invited over to somebody's house for dinner and the hostess, and it's usually the ladies, I'll admit. Us men are good at eating, and by and large, the ladies are good at cooking and serving. Uh, except for Brother John, who's a very wonderful cook. 
But imagine her setting the food out, and she's setting you know, part of it out. You just come in, sit down at the table, and start grabbing the bread and start eating without being invited. How rude would that be? Okay, That's what they were doing, not in somebody's home, but in church together. One got drunk, another was hungry. They turned, they perverted the Lord's Supper into a church picnic, into a, a um, church potluck. And then on top of it, they didn't even wait for each other. They were rude to each other and thoughtless. So you see the severity of the problems here with the church at Corinth. And again, I don't want to get into the, the, the problem so much, but it's what they were to do. What they were to do was when they came together, they were to eat the Lord's Supper. As we read, verse 26, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what they were to do. So he's had prayer and we have the Lord's Supper. Let's look at what's called the third and fourth acts of worship in chapter 14. Let's turn to chapter 14 and verse 26. And here Paul writes, What then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, again, that's the idea of coming together as a church. Everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. Now, I want to point out, when it says a word of instruction, and then it goes on to a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, those three last things were gifts of the Holy Spirit. And they were basically basically revealing God's will. And he just finishes talking about tongues and the problem they had with the gift of tongues, that is to speak in another language they did not know or study. And interpretation is obviously the, the interpreting of that language. And a revelation is the revealing of God's new will. You can sum all these up in the idea of a word of instruction because the word of instruction involves the proclaiming of God's will, God's word. So we have a word of instruction, and everyone has a hymn. Notice it says everyone has a hymn. It doesn't mention a choir, okay? So you could look at it two ways. Either there is no choir, or the whole church is the choir. We all sing, okay? There's no admonitions in the Bible for the women to sound like Barbara Streisand or the men to sound like Pavarotti. The admonition is to sing with our hearts, with gratitude. Everyone has a hymn. And frankly, the reason why churches have choirs is because they don't sound too good. Okay? That is not to be our emphasis. Our emphasis is to sing with our hearts. And I'll make this as an aside. Um, when we sing with our hearts, it sounds wonderful. It sounds beautiful. And it's beautiful to God, regardless of our vocals. So we see here, when we come together, we are, everyone has a hymn. We are to sing spiritual songs and hymns. And we have a word of instruction. Let's turn over to chapter 16. We're going to see the last, the fifth act. In verse 1. Here we see, now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. 
Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. There's the specific circumstances here. What again I want to point out is that on the first day of the week, they had a collection where each one set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. You ever heard the phrase, if I had a million dollars, I'd give you a million dollars? Well, not too many of us have a million dollars, so we're not going to give a million dollars. But we give according to our income, what we have set aside in our hearts. Okay? We don't have bake sales. We don't have spaghetti dinners or bingo or any other number of means that churches today raise money. We have the one collection on the first day of the week to meet the church's needs. And if we do it God's way, God will bless us with enough money to meet our needs. So we see here the five acts of worship. The roles, if you will, that the church is to play, is to fulfill. Thirdly and lastly, we're going to look at how much the church, the family, is functional. Uh, there's a show, uh, it's called The Middle. It's a, uh, a sitcom, if you've ever watched it. It's a show where the, there's a family, it's about a, a a family, and it's a very silly show. But there's a family in the neighborhood called the Gosners. And the Gosner family is that family. They're the family that everybody in the neighborhood avoids because they're big time trouble. The children go through the neighborhood and take baseball bats to the mailboxes. They steal what's left on the neighbor's lawns and they accumulate it, and all the, the neighborhood is too intimidated by the, the family to go and take the stuff back or call the police, okay? So there is that family. That family, I'm mentioning that family because that family typifies a dysfunctional family. They're not functioning the way a family should, as opposed to the beaver family, the traditional loving family. How much a church is functional depends on how much the members follow certain principles. In the traditional family, we are to love and respect each other, be involved with each other, have each other's back. In the church, it is to fulfill certain roles, certain, certain ideas, and how much we follow those ideas will determine how much we are functional. I'm going to give you two I, um, Two thoughts for a group, for the leadership, and two thoughts for the individuals, for each and every one of us. Turn with me to the book of Acts, please. Back to Acts, 1 Corinthians, Romans, Acts. And we're going to look at chapter 20 of Acts, and we're going to read from verse 28, where Paul uh, is meeting with the elders at Ephesus, and he's, he has this long, passionate talk with them. And in verse 28, he says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. How much the church is functional depends on how much the leadership, the elders, watch over all the flock. Not just the young, not just the old, not just the military, not just the civilians, and so on. I could name all kind of categories. But it's how much the elders watch over all the flock. They are watching over the flock. That's the first idea for the group. Let's look at chapter 15 of Acts, and let's see the second idea we're going to look at this morning 
about the group. In Acts chapter 15, we're going to read from uh, verse 22. The situation here is that a false teaching has gone through the churches. It is that the Gentiles, that is everyone who's not a Jew, is to be circumcised and obey the law of Moses, to follow the Old Testament. This is a false teaching. What we see in this circumstance is that the whole church is called together. The whole church with the apostles and the elders address this issue. It says in verse 12 that the whole assembly became silent as they listened. They were listening, they were present, and they were informed. In verse 22, we read that then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their men. That is, the, the elders, the apostles, and the whole church decided. How functional are we as a church is how much that the church members are in present and informed and how much we are involved, all of us, in the decision making. That is the degree to how functional we are. And that's as a group. Two last ideas, very briefly, we're going to look at individually. Same book of Acts, let's look at chapter 17. How functional are we as a church? It depends on how much each individual member does this. In verse 11 of Acts chapter 17 we read, Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness, one and two, and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. They did two things that they were commended for. They were eager to, to look at the scriptures, examined every day, and they examined to see if what Paul said was true. Who was Paul? Brother Paul is an apostle. He's the one person who wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else. They were commended for checking him. They were commending him to see if what he said was true. And he wrote most of the New Testament. Amazing when you think about it. What are we to do? How functional we are as a church depends on our eagerness to examine the scriptures daily and to see if what is spoken, is taught, is true. Regardless of whether it's me, whether it's any respected elder or, or brother or, or preacher or anybody, anybody on TV, anybody on the radio, the Pope, anybody. We are to examine the scriptures to see if it's true or not. Our last one, and then we'll wrap this up, is in the book of 1 Corinthians, um, I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians. In Thessalonians chapter 5, in verse 4, Paul writes, But you brothers are not in darkness, so that this day, that is the day, the return of the Lord, the Lord's return, should surprise you like a thief, because that's what a thief does, is he surprises you when he attacks in the night. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who were asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. We are to be alert and self-controlled. 
And that word for alert literally means watch. What are we watching for? We're watching like a security guard for the return of the Lord, like a person in a watchtower as he watches for ships in the middle of the night, like they used to in Bible times as the cities were surrounded by walls and they had towers, there was people assigned to watch for an invading army far off. We are to watch for the Lord. How functional we are as a church depends on how much each of us is watching and self-controlled, watching for the return of the Lord. And it's hard to watch if you're not self-controlled, if you're drunk, if you're under the influence of drugs or the influence of vice. It's hard to watch for the return of the Lord. We are to watch for the return of the Lord. And so that's what we have, how a church is like a traditional family. We are related to each other. We have roles to fulfill. And how functional we are depends on how much we follow certain ideas and principles. To anyone who's not a Christian, we invite you to become part of our family, part of God's family. Our last verse of this, this morning is Acts chapter 2 and verse 36. We talked about being born of water and born of the Spirit. That is a reference to baptism and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, Peter giving the first gospel sermon says, therefore, in verse 36, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. That is, let everyone be sure that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the creator. He is our Lord and God. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. To anyone who is not a Christian, please don't walk out of this building without becoming one today, this morning, this, this hour, right now. Please come forward now and make your intentions known while we stand and sing the invitation song.